Let's turn to um, Mark 9. We've been talking about... We've been talking about um, faith that receives. And right now, I need to receive... Taken away uh, the marking pens, but anyway. Oh, no, here they are. There's one. Okay. Um, we've been talking about faith that receives anything. Hallelujah. And Mark 9:23. Let's read this out loud together. Jesus said unto him. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. One more time. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And turn the page over uh, Mark 10, 27. And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God... All things are possible. I think we just heard that this morning, didn't we? Yeah. Men said, it, you know, 50-50, but with God, all things are possible, and all things are possible to him that believes. This is not just to just everybody, but to him that believes, and all things are possible with God. So whenever someone says, no way, not possible, they've just told you with men it's not possible. That's all they've told you with men, and we shouldn't really be too shocked, you know, when, when we hear that. We shouldn't be too shocked to say, because let's face it, folks, people have limitations, and I don't care who the doctors are or whatever, they got limitations. You know, and uh, some, you know, some, some of them are honest and say this is the way it is and, and we can't do anymore. But then the, that's where we put the power of God into play. Amen? Hallelujah. So we, we uh, you remember, we started out uh, the first step to faith that receives. Does anybody remember? Find the will of God. Okay. And um, find the will of God. And where is the 100% safe only place to find that? Amen. Amen. The, the written word. Uh, we've talked about several scriptures. You, um, I think it's First John five fourteen and fifteen. If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know we have the things we've asked of Him. So, the second point. Anybody remember? After finding out the will of God. Ask and 
pass. Yeah? Ask in faith. And once you know the will of God, then you can ask in faith. And that's why finding the will of God has to be number one. Asking is important, but it's not number one because you cannot ask in faith if you don't know what the will of God is. But once you know what it is, now you can ask in faith. You're not questioning, you're not wondering. So find the will of God, ask in faith, um, let's turn, uh, let's just turn back to Matthew, uh, 6 there for a second, and we'll just read this little portion again. Uh, this was Matthew's account. Um, where Jesus, um, Well, actually, it's Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. So we found the will of God. We've talked about asking in faith. Nothing wavering. Okay, so we talked about when you're in faith, when you ask in faith, you're not wavering. If we're wavering, then we're not in faith. So asking in faith, nothing wavering. And the third one, anybody remember? Believe you've received? Well, that's good. But it, just for our, actually, um, last meeting, Carol, when I got to step three, I said, what's next? And you said Thanksgiving, which is, right. which is correct. That's correct. Once we ask, then we thank the Lord. But for the purposes of this study, the next thing here in verse 7, after seek and ye shall find, I mean after ask and it shall be given, is seek. Seek or look. So we talked about if, you, if you've asked, first of all, say, you know, if, if you're believing for a new house or a new car or something practical that you need first of all you got to establish it's God's will that we have a house it's God's will that we have a car you know and this is this is where he wants us to be this is where we're supposed to live and that's something that may take a few weeks or months you know praying uh, seeking the Lord about it listening to the Lord about where we're supposed to be and then, once you're settled on that, and it may take a few weeks or months to, to you know, uh, have a witness in your heart from the Holy Spirit that this is where we're supposed to be, then, uh, okay, it's God's will that we have a house here. Okay, then you, uh, you ask in faith, and then, you, from a practical standpoint, you begin to look. You begin to look. And you, you do everything you can in the natural from a practical standpoint to begin to look for whatever it is that you have asked him for. And how do you know when you find it? Something rises, you get excited, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, when I was looking for a flat uh, 
you know, and I mean, I've looked for more than one flat in this area, but I remember um, when I pulled up in the driveway where I'm living now, oh yeah, oh yeah, I found it. I found it. I mean, this, yeah, you just have a, you just have a witness. Yeah, this is, this is it. And you get excited and, and you think, yeah, I can see myself here. You know, and, and that kind of a thing. So you have a witness on the inside. Yeah, this is the one, you know, or, or whatever your uh, whatever your individual situation is. Now, um, he goes on to say here, um, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, and there may not be anybody at home. Is that what it says? <laughs> no? Knock, and it shall be open to you. Now today, that's what we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about knocking. And let's turn over to Luke 11. Luke 11. This is um, Luke's account of the same same uh, teaching, but it's a little bit different. But this is his account. Um, in verse nine, this is Luke's account: "Ask and it shall be given you; seek and ye shall find; knock." and it shall be opened unto you. So, what happens if we knock? Jesus said it would be open. Amen? Now let's uh, back up here to the beginning of this chapter. And Luke starts out here, similar to Matthew, where Jesus... Uh, talked about how to pray and he talked about uh, he was, you know, there's nothing wrong at all with praying the Lord's Prayer verbatim. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But just, you know, sometimes Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it can just become a vain repetition and it loses its <coughs> meaning, you know. Um, so, Jesus is also here talking about prayer structure and prayer principles. We address the Father in the name of Jesus. So, uh, in, in Matthew's account, Jesus said, After this manner, pray. And he was talking about prayer structure and prayer principles. So, we, we address the Father in the name of Jesus. Now, let's, uh, and after he talks about how to pray, then he gives us an example. And let's go down to verse 5. Now Jesus is going to tell a story here. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, 
Jesus is saying, you know, which of you would have a, a friend like this? A friend comes to your door at midnight. I need some food. A friend of mine's passing through town on a business trip in Surrey, and they just dropped in late unexpected. I didn't have a chance to go to Tesco today, and I don't have anything to fix for them. Do you have some food? Okay, now, this says... This is at midnight, okay? Now back in these times, there was no TV, there was no internet, there were no video games, there was no newspaper. Uh, after dark, there wasn't just a whole lot to do. You know what I mean? So most people went to bed pretty soon after dark. And besides that, women think about washing clothes by hand and you know drying them out and all this you know just just the domestic duties would have been so much more difficult uh and men working in the fields all day or working on a fishing boat all day you were tired when it got dark and you were ready to go to sleep so so this is a situation here and at midnight these people have already been asleep probably at least four or five hours. And they are in deep sleep. I mean, they are out. And, you know, you hear a knock at the door and, and uh, the man inside says, you know, is that somebody, you know, knocking at the door? And they hear their friend outside saying, George, I need some food because this friend has just popped in and I hadn't had a chance to go to Tesco today, and I, you know, I gotta have something to fix them. And George says, are you crazy? Do you have any idea what time it is? You know, we've already been asleep for five hours. You know, um, so, so Jesus tells this story, and then he finishes by saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you if you knock. Now, let's go on to, um, uh, well, verse 7. He says, George, are you crazy? Do you know what time it is? Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, this word, importunity, when's the last time you heard somebody use that word in a real conversation? Have you ever used that word in a conversation? I haven't either. This is a real King James Version word that is very obscure, and very vague. Um, traditionally, it has been translated persistence. Shameless persistence. Just keep on asking and keep on asking, pestering, 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 till you wear them down. And traditionally, <clears throat> this, either directly or indirectly, this man in the house asleep who does not want to be disturbed and does not want to get up, this man has, has been referred to as representing God. 
And this is not what this is teaching. This man does not represent God. This man inside who's asleep and doesn't want to be disturbed, this is not referring to God. But traditionally, it's been taught that way. And entire doctrines have been created around this word concerning something that it never ever meant in the first place. Now, I went to my Greek lexicon and I looked up the word importunity in Greek. And I don't read Greek, so it takes me a while to find the meaning because I have to look at every single individual letter to, to find the word. And in, uh, it gives one English word and it's the word shamelessness. Shamelessness. Without shame. Not ashamed to ask. That's what the word importunity means. It doesn't mean just ask, ask, pester, pester. Wear them down and they'll finally give in. That's not what this story is teaching. I looked up this word in Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. And it says, without shame, without modesty. The dictionary meaning of shameless uh, says destitute of shame, brazen-faced. It means the same as audacious. Willingness to take bold risks. It means the same as, as impudent. All these words mean the same, not ashamed. Now the Darby translation of this verse actually uses the word shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The uh, New Century Version reads like this. If friendship is not enough to get him up to give you the bread, your boldness will make him get up and give you whatever you need. The NIV says, some people in here probably have NIV, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The God's Word translation says, because you were so bold, he will get up and give you what you need. The uh, complete English Bible says, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. Now, what is the opposite of shameless? Shameful. Yeah, ashamed. Yeah, shameful. Which would also be condemnation, could, would be a similar word to, uh, you know, if somebody tries to shame you or, or say you ought to be ashamed, it's like a form of condemnation, isn't it? And the devil is always looking for ways to shame you and keep you from asking. What if this guy had gone to the door? Actually, I want to say something else before I move on. There's nothing in this story to imply that this man ever knocked more than one time. It doesn't say he kept knocking and he kept knocking and he kept knocking and the man finally got fed up and came to the door just to get rid of him. And that's 
basically the, the way tradition is taught this. Actually, it doesn't say he ever knocked at all, but that's implied, okay? It's implied that he did knock, but it's not implied that he kept knocking and he kept knocking and he kept knocking. Now, what if this man uh, had come to the door and said, I have an, I have an un unexpected visitor. Uh, you wouldn't happen to have any food you could give me, would you? Now, what are you setting this man up to say? No. 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 That's right. No. You know, the guy inside would say, no, it's midnight. I got to get up early in the morning. Go home and let me get some sleep. And the guy at the door, you know, he would say, okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have asked. I'm sorry, you know, forgive me. Shouldn't have interrupted you, shouldn't have disturbed you. I know it's late. Is that what this man did? No. He was not ashamed. He was not timid. He was, he was not uh, bashful in his asking. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, uh, you know, so, so don't, uh, you know, don't let the devil or other people try to shame you uh, into saying, well, well, that's just too big. You know, you just shouldn't be asking for something that big or, or that nice or whatever. Don't, you know, don't let people shame you because that's just what the devil is trying to do is, is because the devil's telling you you don't deserve something this nice in the first place. That's what the devil wants you to think. You know, you shouldn't even be asking in the first place because you don't deserve something this nice. And if you say, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess it's really too, too nice, too big. You know, sorry I asked, you know. Now, that's just the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. Now, we shouldn't be demanding, and we shouldn't be presumptive. We should be polite and courteous, and we should not look to people as our source. But when you've asked the Lord for something, and you've looked for it, and you found it, and you know this is the one, this is the place, or whatever it is that you've asked Him for, then... It's time to go in. Amen. This is not the time to be uh, timid, to be ashamed, you know, to be reluctant. Uh, that's just phony humility. And, the, and, and, and you know, people think, uh, you know, this, this phony humility, you know, you're, you're standing outside. And somebody says, what are you doing? You say, well, you know, the Lord says this is a house or this is a car or this is... The, my new kitchen or whatever, you know, um, you know, and, and it's time, it's time to go in. You know, it's not time to have another prayer meeting. It's not time for counseling. It's not time, uh, you know, to be making apologies or whatever. But to some people, you know, this phony humility about, well, yeah, we really, maybe, we really shouldn't be asking for something this big or this nice. To some people, that's the perfect Christian. You know, this phony humility, you know, you really shouldn't, see, because people think, people will tell you, look, God is a busy man. 
you know. I mean, he, they, and they read this story. They read this story like the man asleep, and, they, and to them, this man represents God. And he's either asleep, an old gray-haired man on the throne, and once in a while, Jesus pokes him to wake him up, you know, and says, did you see what just happened down there? And he says, oh, yeah, well, thanks for waking me up. I, you know, I, whoo, boy, that's pretty bad. They're fighting again, huh, you know? And that's the way people imagine God, you know? And they think God is a very busy man. There are crises going on in the world, and, and, and he's only focused on these really important things. And your little car or your little kitchen or your little telephone is really not important to God. And that is a, that is a lie from hell. And that's what, that's what people want you to think. Why? So that you won't boldly, the Bible says, boldly go to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. So don't say go crawling up there, you know, uh, apologizing that you disturb God in the middle of a world crisis, asking him for your new kitchen. You know what I mean? So don't ever think you're, that you're disturbing God, you're not. And don't let people tell you that your little deal is not important on the greater scheme of the world, because it is. It is important. I've got a reference in Schofield to the fact that um, importunate, that is undiscouraged by delayed answers. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. <coughs> I mean, that yeah, that's Mr. Schofield's. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Schofield and I don't agree on everything, but yeah, I, 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 I that's a traditional because I mean it doesn't say there was a delay here. You know, but but I I can see why some people would uh, would interpret it that way. But uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, the the best meaning of it is is bold and not ashamed. And this man, this man gave his friend what he wanted, what he needed, not because he was his friend. Because at midnight, friendship is not going to be enough to get up in the middle of the night and give him three ready meals for his friend who's just come in. You know, friendship isn't going to be enough. But just because this man had the boldness and the audacity to just sashay up to the door and knock, he got up and he gave him what he needed. And so when the Lord tells you, I want you to go through that door, he wants to see some action. Amen? And I don't care. You, you knock at that door <clears throat> at midnight, and I don't care if all the neighbors turn on their lights and look outside. If you wake up the neighbors, you know, I don't care if the council says no way. I don't care if the doctor says no way. I don't care if the lawyer says no way. <clears throat> I don't care if the state agent says no way. You know, he wants you to, to step up and step out and put your foot in the water. Amen? Hallelujah. Because it's not going to open 
till you step out. And it's not going to open till you knock. Now, knock is an action word, okay? That's the reason why Jesus used the word knock. It's an action word. And actually, all of these are action words. Ask, look, knock. These are all action words. And uh, these are all things that we do. This is our part of receiving. We find the will of God. We ask in faith. We, we go as far as we can in the natural, <clears throat> looking, and then we take action. And this is our part. And this, this is why, you know, this doctrine of it's all up to God, you know, it just doesn't get it. And, and this is why people just come up with this to explain why they don't have things that they need. Because, you know, to them, it's just all up to God. If I have it, uh, you know, or if I don't have it, you know, if, if I don't have it, that means it, it's not God's will. And if I do have it, it is His will. And this, this is not the case. And that's, that explains why a lot of Christians don't have what they need. A lot of people just don't ask. They just don't ask. And, and, and they think, it, you know, it wouldn't do any good. And it's all up to God anyway. And some people say, well, I just want whatever the Lord's will is. Well, we looked at, um, you don't have to turn there, but we looked one of the last times in Ephesians 5, 17, that says, um, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're supposed to know what the will of the Lord is. It's not just, you know, that's just another way of saying it's all up to God, is to say, well, I just want whatever the Lord's will is. No, we're supposed to find the will of God. We're supposed to know what the will of God is. And that's what he tells us here in Ephesians 5.17. So... These knocking is an action word, and this is something that we do. This is not something that God does. So, we ask in faith, we seek, we look for it, and then we do it. Take action. Take a step. Everybody say, knock, and it shall be open to you. And who does the knocking? Amen. Now let's turn to James 2. James 2. <clears throat> James 2. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now this word works in the King James is not the greatest. It doesn't really uh, convey what uh, 
very accurately because when we think of works, we think of good deeds. You know, we think when we think of works, we think of doing something good or doing good deeds. But works here in this verse uh, is an action word. Works here means action. So it's not doing good things for people. Works is, is an action word. Um, the, the New Century version reads like this. In the same way, faith by itself that does nothing is dead. So the word works here uh, is action as opposed to passive or idle. Okay, so, so that's when the, new, when the King James says faith without uh, works is dead, uh, being alone, is talking about uh, an action word, uh, the, the total opposite of something that's passive or idle. The Amplified translation of verse 20, of, um, let's, let's read verse 26 in the King James. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith, without works is dead also. Now the Amplified says, faith without actions is dead. Uh, I think there's one translation and I couldn't find it. I thought it was Amplified, but it's not. But um, faith without corresponding action is dead. I'm sure I've read that before, but I couldn't find where that is. Uh, According to these verses, is it possible to have dead faith? According to this, if it doesn't have work, if it doesn't have action, it's dead. So it's possible to have faith that's dead. Okay, now we're going to pursue this some more. Now, verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So there must have been some people, you know, arguing, you know, that it's all work or it's all faith, you know. Uh, and, and Paul's saying, No, I'll show you by faith by my action. And the Good News translation of verse 18 says, Show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. Uh, what about the four men who brought their paralyzed friend on the cot to Jesus? You remember that, that story? <clears throat> and they couldn't get in the house. Uh, I was, you know, the Bible doesn't say this. We just get little snapshots, you know. But um, I, I believe it's, it's possible that, that they were carrying this man, this man to the house where Jesus was. And I think it was Jesus' own house. That's my personal opinion. But I think it was Jesus' own personal house where they were going to. And uh, they passed some people coming back. And they said, you, you're going to where Jesus is. You're going to Jesus' house. They said, yeah, we're taking our friend down there. Well, you might as well forget it. I mean, we've just come back from there, and that place is packed. Standing room only, you will never get in there. We, you know, I, I guess it's just not God's 
will for us to be healed, so we're just going back home, you know. Well, these four men didn't let that put them off. They kept heading toward the house. And when they got there, sure enough, it's just like the people told them. It was packed. Standing room only. You could not get in there. People even standing around outside. Now, did these four men turn around to their friend and say, well, Fred, sorry, but we tried. Is that what they said? No. No. What did they do? You know, did they say, maybe, I guess it's not the will of God, because if it was the will of God, we would have gotten you in there, you know. That there would have been a place for, for you, you know. If, if There would have been room. If it was God's will to heal you today, there would have been room in that house. No. Somehow, they got that man on the roof. I don't know how they did it, but somehow they got that man on the roof. And what did they, what did they start doing? They started knocking tiles to the left. They started knocking tiles to the right. And Jesus and them inside hear something on the roof, and they look up, and they think, what's that? And then a minute, they begin to see the sunshine coming through the ceiling. And the hole gets a little bigger and a little bigger, and finally it gets big enough to where it's big enough that they can let this man down in the room where Jesus is. And Jesus looks up and he sees these four men. And what does the Bible say? He saw their faith. Now, how do we know those four men had, had faith? There's living faith and there's dead faith. How do we know those four men had living faith? By their actions. That's how we know they had living faith, by their actions. And the, by, that's why the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Those men knew if they could get that man in there, something was going to happen. Well, they knew before they got there something was going to happen. That's why they got up there and they tore the, the hole in the roof. And they, they were not going to take no for an answer. And they, they got that man in there. And you can just see Jesus with a big smile on his face, you know, <laughs> saying, wow, this is living faith. You know, I am seeing living faith. What, and the man was healed. The man was healed. What about the woman with the issue of blood? Impossible. Medically impossible. Incurable. Incurable. You know. The doctors had said impossible. She'd obviously spent a whole lot of money on doctors. They said impossible, impossible. Mayo Clinic, impossible. Everywhere she went, impossible. And so, so what does it say she did? Does she sit at home and say, well, I guess it's just not God's will to heal me. You know, these, I guess healing's passed away. And, you know, if it was God's will, then I'm, Sure, you know, he would come to, to my house or, you know, he would send somebody down here, you know. No, she started knocking. She started pressing. She got up. She got up 
and she started pressing through thousands and thousands of people. And she knocked, she, she knocked people out of the way till she got to Jesus' garment because she kept saying she put a time and a place where she was going to receive her healing. When I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She put a time and a place on it. It's not, you know, whatever the Lord's will is. No, she knew the will of God, and she put a time and a place on it. And her knocking made a demand on the healing power of God, and it flowed into her. She set the time and the place for her healing. This woman did not believe it was all up to God whether or not she got healed. She understood there's some action involved, and she started knocking. The very first time I ever saw Peter Nan walking down from the, uh, we had the church in Electric Theater, and I was walking from the Guilford train station around the corner there by Witherspoons, and as soon as I rounded the corner, I saw a man with a lady in his arms like this, and he was dragging her in the back, into the doorway of electric theater backwards. Like, like if this, like this was Ann, and he, he had his arms under her, and he was dragging her backwards into the electric theater. That's the first time I ever saw Peter and Ann. And uh, they had heard, you'd heard, I think, Brother Gordon and Barbara preach in Cambridge or something, hadn't you? Yeah. And then you found out that they had started a church here. So you heard. You heard and faith came. That's how we found out. We were looking for a church. Picked the Bible up and a leaflet that we got up in Cambridge six months before just dropped out in front of us. Hmm. And that's how you found out about the church. Yeah. Now, some of you have heard part of Anne's testimony. They had given her up to register blind. They had The doctors had told her she would be in a wheelchair the rest of her life, and she would be in a nursing home the rest of her life. And uh, But they had already been putting the word in like Greg was talking about this morning. They didn't wait till the crisis hit. They had already been putting the word in, already building their faith, and they heard about, if you go to Guilford, there's some faith preaching in Guilford. So, here they come. Now, I'm sure Peter had to get up. You probably had to help Ann get dressed. You probably had to do her hair. You probably, you had to help her get to the car. She was like totally dependent on you. It'd have been a whole lot easier just to stay at home, wouldn't it? And just have a cup of tea and say, well, I guess it's just not God's will for me to be healed. Maybe, you know, and then, uh, then the pastor's wife came in your hospital room and said, God is a God of, uh, what? Affliction. God's a God of affliction, you know. So you, so you, you, uh, you know, what if you'd sat home and meditated on that? You know, maybe, maybe this is God's will for me, you know. And, and no, they started knocking. They took action. 
They said, we're getting up. I don't care if it takes three hours to get her dressed, get her hair done. We're going to Guilford. And they started knocking. And you began to recover. You began to recover. It wasn't instant, but every week it, you, got a little, you, you were hearing the word. We were praying in faith. You were confessing the word. And you just gradually begin to get better and better. And if you hadn't, if you hadn't, the door was open, didn't it? When, when, when you knocked, the, when you went as far as you could go in the natural, the power of God met you. The power of God met you and took up what you could not do. But you had a part to play in action and getting to that meeting and getting into to hear where you could hear the word so your faith level could get up. So you were knocking. You were knocking. And you're still knocking. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. And so instead of sitting somewhere in a nursing home today, you're healed testifying. Hallelujah. Amen. That the word works. Hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody say, faith without action, faith without action. is dead faith. Is dead faith. Okay. Let's... Let's say uh, you're in a building that's on fire, and uh, you know you say you can't go you can't go out on the, the bottom floor because it's already in flames down there, and you know smoke's building and it's working its way up the staircases. This building's on fire. You say, Lord, is it your will that I get out of this building alive? You know, and the Lord says, yes, of course it's my will you get out of this building alive. I, it's my will that you live a long life, that you, 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 uh, you're, you live long, you live strong, you run your course, you finish your race, you're a blessing to people, you do some good in the earth, you advance my kingdom. Yes, it's my will that you get out of this building alive. And if you didn't know anything but the 91st Psalm, you would know that. Because the last verse says, with long life will I satisfy them and show them my salvation. It also says, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it will not come near you. So if you didn't know anything but the 91st Psalm, you know it's not God's will for me to die young in this building, in this fire. Okay? So, we got the will of God. Lord, I'm asking you to show me how to get out of this building safely. Okay? So we ask in faith. And the Lord deals with you and he says, Run to, go down this hall, take a right, and go in the first room on the left. So, you start looking. You go, you go down the hall, you take a right, you go in the first room on the left, and you find the room that you asked for. You found the room where you're going to get out of here safely. So you go over to the window and you raise the window and you look out and you see ten big strong firemen down on the street with a big huge net. Mm -hmm. And they're looking up at you. What are they going to say? Jump. 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 Okay? <laughs> now what if you say what if you say, <clears throat> five minutes ago, 
I just asked the Lord if it was his will for me to get out of this building alive, and he said yes. What are they going to say? Jump. To jump. Mm. And then I asked him to show me how to get out of this building safely. And I, and I went looking for this room, and I found it. And here, here I am. What are they going to say? Jump. 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 Now, what, the flames are getting higher. The smoke's billowing out the windows. Now, what if you, what if you say, I believe those firemen can catch me. I believe those firemen can catch me. I believe those firemen would catch me. I know that they're trained to do their job, and I know that they're professionals, and, I, and the flames are getting higher, and the smoke's coming out the window, and, and, you're, and you're, you're saying, I know that they would bring a strong net down here. I know that net would probably hold me. What, what if you don't, how do we know if you've got living faith or not? You're going to jump. Okay? If you've got living faith, you're going to jump. That's how we know if you've got living faith. Because faith without action is dead faith. And, and uh, you know, I don't care. It, what what if you what if you die in that building? Can you say God didn't save you? No. Can you say it wasn't God's will that you get out of their life? No. And folks, this is the exact same position people are in who say, I know God can heal me. I know God can heal me. I know God can heal me in his timing. One day, I know God can heal me. They're like the person standing at the window saying, I know those firemen can catch me, but they never jump. They never jump. They don't put any action to their faith. Hallelujah. Do you get it? Hallelujah. Praise God. Now this, this is, uh, you know, when people say, for instance, I believe those firemen can catch me, or I believe God can heal me. This is a difference between living faith and mental assent. Just mentally agreeing that the Bible's true. You know, you can mentally agree that, uh, that those firemen are professionals, they know what they're doing, and they can catch you. But if you don't jump, you're not going to get saved. And it's not going to be God's fault. You know, so, so because God did everything, you know, you asked him to do, but, but the, the, the bottom line is, if you can't be persuaded to jump, you're not going to get out of there. And it's not God's will that you die in that, in that building, but, but you got to jump. You got to act. Faith without action is dead faith. Now, Living faith jumps, okay? Living faith will act. A mental ascent and dead faith just says, I believe those firemen can catch me and they never jump. I believe God can heal me and they never put a time and a place on it. It's always out in the future, somewhere else, someday, another time, another place. You know, uh, it's just up to God. 
That's, that's just mental assent. They agree the Bible's true. They agree that Jesus bore their sicknesses and carried their diseases. But it, it doesn't act. It won't, it, they don't act like they're healed. And, um, you know, you, you can say, do you believe the Bible's true? They'll say yes. Are you healed? No, I'm not healed. I'm sick. Now, that's the difference between mental ascent, dead faith, and living faith. They agree the Bible's true, but they don't act on it. They don't act like they're healed. They don't talk like they're healed because they're not persuaded yet. Just like you standing at that window, you're not persuaded to jump yet. So there's living faith and there's dead faith. You know, when people say, I believe God can heal me someday in his timing. He can heal me. There's no faith in that statement because they never jump. Their healing is always somewhere else, another time, another place. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things. Now faith is. Faith is now. Hallelujah. So we, so we know... When you're standing at that window, we know whether you got living faith or not. If you jump, you got living faith. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody say, faith, faith. without jumping, is dead. Okay? So you go as far as you can go in the natural, and you will meet the power of God. What about the... Uh, the first generation of Israelites who did not go into the promised land. Uh, you know, God miraculously, supernaturally led them to the door of the promised land. I mean, he led them to the door and said, I want you to go through that door. Now, in this case, it wasn't even a matter of not knowing what was on the other side of the door, you know. Most people say, well, tell me what's on the other side and I'll tell you if I want to go through or not, you know. But in this case, they already knew what was on the other side. The ten spies had been. They had brought back the grapes and the figs and the pomegranates and talked about the streams and the rivers and the lands and what a good country it was. And God said, I want you to go through that door. Now, God didn't talk to them much about the giants, did he? <laughs> he didn't tell them much about the giants. And when Joshua and Caleb came back, they didn't deny that the giants were there, but they didn't major on it. They never even brought it up. It's the other ten that brought it up. But Joshua and Caleb, they didn't deny that the, that the giants were there. But that's not what they majored on. They majored on the abundance the goodness and they said let's go and God said we we know it was God's will we know it was God's will for them to go because he's the one that told them to go and he led them to the door of the promised land and God said I want you to go through that door what did they do they sat in their tents and they cried all night they would not jump <laughs> they wouldn't jump would they no, they wouldn't jump. And did it please God? No. You remember, if you go back over to Numbers, you know, God said, I'm going to wipe out the whole bunch. 
You know, it's kind of like that. Have you heard that phrase? Uh, I don't know if people use it here or not, but you know, it's kind of like the the person in uh, the department store, like on Black Friday, and they've got 50 customers queued up there, and they're trying to serve all these people, and they're complaining and. You know, I don't know why I have to stand in line so long and they didn't have what I wanted, you know. Uh, the frustrated cashier, you know, and they say, I've only got one nerve left and you're standing on it, <laughs> you know. Well, that's, that's a position God was in, in numbers. I only got one nerve left and you're standing on it. And you ju they just went one too far when they said, We're, they said, we go over there those giants are going to wipe us out. And, and Moses, you know, interceded for them. And, uh, but the Bible says God was not pleased. He was, that is not what God wanted to hear. When he said, I want you to go through that door, he wanted to see some people packing up their bags, getting their belongings together, saddling up the donkeys, and heading that way. That's what God wanted to see. Hebrews 3.10 says, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation. And verse 19 says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's what kept them out. They wouldn't jump. They thought it was the size of the giants keeping them out. They thought it was the walled cities. They said, if we jump, those giants are going to rip us to shreds. You know, it's like looking down at the farmer and saying, I don't believe those farmers will catch me. I believe if I jump, they'll pull that net out of the way and they'll just, they'll just, you know, this is just going to be a joke and they'll just get a, a kick out of seeing me splattered on the sidewalk, you know? And that's kind of what they were accusing God of. If we, if we go to the promised land, he, he'll abandon us. He won't be with us. He'll pull the dead out of the way. And those giants will just rip us to shreds. It was their unbelief that kept them out. So it's not the amount of money. It's not the amount of debt. It's not the size of the cancer. It's doing what God tells us to do. Let's turn to Romans 4. Romans 4. Romans 4. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Underline the words, steps of faith. Steps of faith. God leads in steps. God leads in steps. And faith, is what pleases God. That's why He doesn't show us what's on the other side of the door. He doesn't show you the top of the staircase. He just shows you one step 
And the rest is just void, just darkness, space. <laughs> and he shows you one step and says, I want you to take that step. And you're looking up trying to see where is this step going, and you just see outer space, you know. He, he only shows you the first step. And if you have to know more than the first step, then you're not walking by faith. You know, people say, well, God, if you just show me where the money's going to come from, you know, I need to know. That's, no. What did God say to Abraham? God told Abraham, I want you to leave home and go to a place, you know, Abraham didn't even know. And and uh, the next morning, he started packing up. The moving vans were out front. Neighbors came by and said, Abraham, you know, Abram, you leaving us? Yeah. The Lord told us to, to move. Well, where are you going? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but I feel led to go that way today. And tomorrow, he said he would show us where to go the next day. Now this is this is a man of faith. This is one reason why this man's name is in the book. He 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 had unquestioning faith. Uh, everybody say steps of faith. Hallelujah. He Abraham didn't know where he was going. God just gave him the first step and he and that's all he needed to know. And the next day, the God, God gave them the next step, and that's all they needed to know, to walk by faith. You know, people, people say, you know, well, you know, well, Lord, you know, I just paid my yearly membership to the golf club, and so as soon as I've used up my yearly membership, the next year will we'll go. You know, or, or, uh, you know, my kids just have two more years in school and as soon as they're out of school, yeah, we're, we're ready. We'll, we'll go. You can count on us. We'll do it. You know, no, no. He's just said, take, he says, go take a step. You know, well, Lord, I've got my yearly diary out here, and if you just show me step two, three, four, and five, then I'll take the first step. No, that's not walking by faith, that's walking by sight. And, um, you know, you remember Jesus said uh, when he was calling his disciples, he said, come and follow me. And one of them said, uh, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Now that sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? <laughs> but Jesus is saying, look, if we're going to do this, let's do it. We're not going to be wishy-washy about this. You know, in Revelation, didn't he say, I'd rather you be hot or cold and not lukewarm? You know, uh, and I'd say the, the single most difficult thing I had to deal with in, in leaving America and coming here was my parents, really. Uh, the rest of it didn't bother me. You know, the rest of it didn't bother me, but I knew they were getting, they were gonna get older, you know. Uh, they were gonna get older, and I felt some obligation toward taking care of them or whatever, but the, 
the time had to come when it's you know either or and I said okay Lord I'm stepping out and I'm just going to trust you that my parents will be taken care of you know but I, I say that's probably the single most thing I had I had to deal with and um, you know but praise God amen hallelujah everybody say steps of faith Steps of faith. hallelujah hallelujah now we're not going to turn to all these but I'll let you write down the scriptures you remember uh, I mentioned the four men with the paralytic friend on the cot that's Mark 2.11 and it's also found in Luke 5 when they you know when you think about the, the number of times in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the number of times Jesus said arise or rise today we wouldn't say arise in our English we would say get up and go and that's what Jesus is saying get up and go the number of times he said to people in Matthew Mark Luke and John get up and go the man with the, the friend that they let down in the roof Jesus said I say unto you get up and go pick up your cot and go home he was saying jump <laughs> Put some action to your faith. He saw their faith, and now it's time to take action. Get up, take your bed, and go home. And he did, and he was instantly healed. John 4, 50. The nobleman who came to Jesus on behalf of his son. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Jesus was saying, jump go and as soon as that man turned and started to go back home his son began to recover this man had no evidence at all only the word of Jesus that his son go whatever Jesus tells you to do do it and Jesus said go and as soon as he he acted on that word and he began to go toward home the bible says his son began to recover from that moment now it's a good thing that they didn't have mobile phones back then because you, now you know as soon as that man began to to go home I, it may have been an hour two or three walk home i don't know but you know the devil was riding that man's mind all the way mm -hmm. home. What if your son's not better? You, better? you better phone your wife and see if he's getting better. You better text. Mm -hmm. You better send a text and see if he's recovering. Because if he's not getting better, you better go back and get Jesus and take him home with you. You know the devil was riding that man's mind all the way home. But he did he blocked it out. He said, No, Jesus said go and, and and I'm going. He said he would recover. That's all the evidence I need. That's all the evidence you need to believe God. And I tell you what, watch watch this instant messaging and this texting business, folks. Because it's a convenience, and I'm all for convenience, and I'm all for technology, and I'm all for making life easier. But I'm telling you, 
these people that whip out their mobile phones every five minutes and they're doing their I gotta text this and I gotta find out and I gotta know right now that's a tool for walking by sight all you need to do all you need to know is this this is the only thing you need to know to walk by faith and to believe God you don't need a text message from somebody saying that somebody's getting better you got the Word of God amen so just be on the lookout about this texting and, and don't allow it to become a tool of walking by sight. You, you, you don't need to know right now. You don't need to know right now. You just need to be in faith about it. He, the man said, I don't need a report from home. Jesus said he lives. That's good enough for me. Everybody say, get up, get up. and go. Get up. Hallelujah. John 5, 8. The man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus said, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. He said, Get up, jump. Let's see some action. Do something. You see Jesus over and over saying, Get up, rise, jump. He's still saying the same thing today. What about the man, uh, Mark 3, verse 5, the man with the withered hand? You know, the, his religious opponents were there watching to see if Jesus was going to heal on the Sabbath. And sure enough, <laughs> Jesus, called the man, Jesus called the man out. And uh, Jesus said, what? Stretch forth your hand. Everybody say stretch. stretch. That's an action word, isn't it? Do something you could not do. He didn't say stretch out your arm. He said stretch out your hand. You know, his hand may have been like this or something. He couldn't stretch it, but when Jesus said stretch it, he stretched it. It, it happened. It happened. He acted on the word. So that's, that's an action word. Stretch. He couldn't stretch it out, but he did it. He didn't say, now Jesus, you don't know me. But I was born like this, and I've never been able to stretch my hand out. Don't you, don't you know, and you're telling me to stretch out my hand? Don't you know I can't stretch out my hand? No. Jesus said, jump, stretch it out, and he, he didn't even have time to think about it. He just did it, and, and, and he did something that was impossible. He had never been able to do that before. And that's why when I... Oftentimes, when I pray for people, I say, do something you couldn't do before you came in here. Put some action to your believing. You know, if you couldn't, you know, do your legs, start bending it or whatever. You know, if you couldn't bend over, bend over. As far as in the natural, do everything you can to get your faith in action. You don't have to know the whole thing. Just a step of faith. And when you reach the end of your ability to do it, you will meet the power of God. What about the ten lepers? Luke 17, 14. Jesus, they said, Jesus, have mercy upon us. What did Jesus say? Go. Go show yourselves to the priest. Jump. Do something. Put some action to your faith. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Jairus' daughter, Mark 5, 41. Jesus said, little girl, 
I say unto you, get up. Hallelujah. He was talking to a dead girl. I mean, no brainwave, no heartbeat. A dead girl. He says, little girl, get up. Hallelujah. And she did. You want to talk about impossible? Her spirit came back into her body. Everybody say, all things are possible. All things are possible. To him that jumps. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts 3, 6. Um, you know, in the book of Acts, Jesus wasn't personally here anymore on the earth. He wasn't personally performing miracles. Now he's doing it by his spirit through the church. And we're the same church today as those people in the book of Acts. The man at the beautiful gate. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up. Get up, rise up, and walk. And the Bible says he got up, he leaped, he jumped, and he walked in the temple praising God. Let's turn our last scripture, Acts 14. Acts 14. <coughs> Faith without jumping is dead faith. Acts 14, verse 7. This is uh, Paul and them preaching in this Lystra Derby area in this whole region. In verse 7 it says, There they preached the gospel. Verse 8, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And verse 9. The same heard Paul speak. What happens when you hear anointed word? Faith comes. Faith comes. So Paul was, was preaching and faith was coming in this man. And Paul perceived in his spirit that this man had faith to be healed. Is it possible to have faith to be healed and not be healed? No. Yep. It's possible to have faith to be healed. It, because we're, we're going to see. We're going to see. It's, look, folks, it's possible to stand at the room, the window with the smoke and the flames billowing, and, and say you got faith and never jump. You know, so so it's possible to have faith that those, you know, it's, it's dead faith. I believe those firemen can catch me and never jump. So, here it says, uh, but this man was hearing the gospel and faith was coming. And uh, he must have been, Paul must have been preaching on healing if the man had faith to be healed. He must have been preaching and teaching on healing if the man had faith for healing. He wasn't preaching on the end times. He wasn't preaching on uh, the, you know, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He wasn't preaching on the new birth. It says he had faith to be healed. So if faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, Paul had to be teaching on healing for faith to come for healing. 
And it says, as Paul was preaching, he perceived this man over here, his faith level was coming. He was hearing the word, his faith level was coming. So he, he, was, he had faith to be healed. So this describes this man right here. He has faith to be healed, but he's not healed yet. Remember James 2.17, faith without action is dead faith. So Paul says to him, verse 10, when Paul perceived that he had faith to be healed, what did he say? Get up. Stand up on thy feet. And it says the man leaped. The man leaped. And he praised God. Now what if this man would have said, Preacher, you just don't know my situation. You're not from this area and you don't know me. And I was born this way and I hadn't walked in 38 years. You know, and my pastor told me that healing's passed away, and we just don't know why these things happen. But God is sovereign, and He's in control, and He will heal me in His timing. Would this man have been healed? No. No. This is man-made ideas that have replaced the gospel. The gospel's good news. Jesus bore our sin. He took our sicknesses. He bore our pain. And by his stripes we were healed. And when this man heard that, he got excited on the inside. He had never heard it before. And about that time when Paul perceived that this man's faith level was up there now, that's when Paul demanded some action from this man. Get up. Get up now. Now. Get up. And the man did. He didn't even take time to think about it. He just, the faith level was there, and when Paul demanded, he put some action to his faith. The man heard jump, and he jumped up, and he walked. Praise God. Can you see the action that Paul demanded? He perceived the man had faith, but he had to put some action to it. John 2, one of the most profound statements in the whole Bible, spoken by Jesus' mother at the wedding feast at Cana. When they ran out of wine, she said says. to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they took that step of faith. They didn't question it. They poured that water into the jars and it became wine. Now, that goes back to with men, all things things are impossible, aren't they? With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And God has not changed. God's will has not changed. The Word has not changed. And these things have not passed away. People changed. Preachers quit preaching the Gospel. They quit preaching the Word, and they replaced it with religion, and people got away from God. That's why the miracles stopped. That's why the blessings stopped. You know, uh, that's why uh, Christians went from being blessed to being poor. They, they stopped getting born again because it quit being preached and there was no faith. There was no faith for prosperity. There was no faith for healing. There was no faith for born again. They, went, they were hearing something else other than the Word. Everybody say, all things are possible, all things are possible. to him that believes. 
Hallelujah. So the thing that you've been dealing with that looks impossible is not impossible. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So, faith, living faith has action. Living faith jumps. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. You already been jumping today, haven't you, Barbara? You said you could. You were walking without that stick when you came in here. Praise God. Praise God. So you're putting some action to your faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to receive our offering, and then we're just going to take the meeting downstairs. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Everybody encouraged? Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to... Uh, 1 Timothy 6.17 1 Timothy 6.17 Okay. Oh, you're not going to be able to stay and have lunch with us? Okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. No. So, so glad to see you. You're you're recovering very well. And the next time we see you, you'll be jumping. <laughs> you'll be jumping. Uh, Luke six seventeen. I mean, sorry. Yeah, First Timothy six seventeen. Uh, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, should Christians have luxuries? Yeah. What? Luxuries. luxuries. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> in case you're not sure, the answer to that is yes. The definition of luxuries, the comforts and beautiful things of life beyond what is really necessary, costly foods, clothing, 
houses or furniture, the things a person enjoys, usually very costly and very choice. That's the dictionary meaning of the word luxury. Another meaning, choice and costly surroundings, things that are enjoyable but not essential. Now that's what we just read here, isn't it? God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. For centuries, Christians have felt like that they should just have enough to eat, an inexpensive car, the simplest of clothes, and it was thought to be a sign of spirituality or a great love for God. But is that the way Jesus thought? In his first miracle we just mentioned, John chapter 2, at the wedding feast of Cana. This was, did not involve anybody sick, nobody dead, no crisis. This was a happy occasion. It was a wedding. And Jesus uh, provided, the, the Bible says, the best wine. It wasn't just wine. It was the best wine. And when they ran out, Jesus didn't say, Okay, you people have had enough anyway. Let's just go home. No, it says he provided the best wine. So God does not mind if you have nice things. In John uh, 19.23, you don't have to turn there, but it mentions uh, Jesus' clothes. And it says, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts on every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. Now when those, those soldiers saw those clothes, they knew this is not a suit off the rack at Debenhams. This was Savile Row. They knew this was tailor-made, where it says uh, it was seamless, woven from the top to the bottom. See you later, Frank. 